0: that God would do a miracle. So Lord, I thank you for what you are trying to accomplish in this family's life. You see their tears, their hardships, their difficulty. I know that they've grown spiritually. They've been persecuted. They've been beaten. Lord, they have really suffered. And now I pray, Lord, even as we have tried to bring them here to a place where there's greater liberty and freedom, I ask that you would expediate the process, that you'd show them mercy, that you would help us to be a blessing and be an answer to their prayers. And I thank you for these things in Jesus' name. And I pray as well tonight that you will speak powerfully into our life uh, the sense of what you are trying to say to us regarding this issue of walking in wisdom. And we thank you for that. Open our hearts. May we embrace your path in Jesus' name. And God's people said... Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to have you turn in your Bibles to uh, Book of Proverbs. I'm doing a series there. We're in Chapter 8, beginning in verse 22. Now, some of you may recall the story I'm about to share. Eric uh, Little was uh, born to missionaries in China in 1902, and uh, when he was four, his father was reading the newspaper and got excited because he was from Scotland and uh, a fellow uh, compatriot from the country of Scotland won the silver medal in the 200 meters at the Olympics. And so he was really excited, and he was sharing this with Eric and his older brother. And so a little Eric said to him, well, Daddy, has ever a Scotsman ever won a gold medal in the Olympics? And he said, no, Eric, he never has. Later on, his uh, parents uh, took Eric and his brother, and they took him to, back to England. He went to boarding school, and Uh, very athletic, both these boys, and they excelled in things like cricket and rugby, and yes, track and field as well. And Eric became an outstanding track person. He uh, won, he became the best uh, runner in his school, and eventually went on to university, where uh, not only did he set the school record in the 100-meter race, but he became the fastest sprinter in all of Scotland. As a matter of fact, All of Great Britain began to pin their hopes on this young man. He was 22 years old, and now he had made the Olympic team in Great Britain, and he was on his way to the 1924 Olympics in Paris, France. Now, you need to know something about Eric Little. He was a young man who... Because he grew up in a missionary home, he had a vital relationship, he came to know Christ and his brother and he would travel all over Great Britain sharing the good news about Jesus, sharing their testimony, you know, and so they were passionate followers of Christ. Well, when they got over to Paris, uh, they discovered, much to the chagrin not only of Eric, but also to his Olympic team, that the qualifying heats for the 100 meter, which was his specialty, was now to be run on a Sunday. Now, you need to understand that Eric Little believed with a deep conviction that Sunday was a day set aside for rest and worship. And it wasn't to be participating in athletics. And so he refused to participate in the qualifying heats. Well, this created a huge pressure with his teammates and his nation. And so they begged the Olympic committee to move the qualifying heats to a different day, which they refused to do. Eric refused to budge. Meanwhile, all the nation's press began to say that Eric was a traitor to his country. You know, what is he thinking? You know, he, they were pinning their hopes on him. But meanwhile, Eric refused to make any sort of a compromise on his conviction. So that Sunday, when the 100-meter qualifying race was being run, Eric Little was in an English-speaking congregation in Paris, France, preaching the gospel. Very interesting approach, But unbeknownst, God's hand was on all of this. How many know God has a way of doing amazing things? That day, one of his fellow countrymen actually qualified in the 100 meters. Later that week, Harold Abrahams actually won the gold medal in the 100 meters. Meanwhile, Eric felt in his heart, God, you are so good, this is all a part of your plan. In spite of the tremendous pressure he was receiving from the people in his country. Meanwhile, he ran the 200 meters, qualified, and eventually went on to win the silver medal, which was great, because that was not his best uh, event. And then later, qualified in probably his worst event, which was the 400 meters. He qualified, and on the Friday, July 11th, 1924, Eric Lytle made history. And as he prepared to go to the race, one of his trainers, handed him a small piece of paper that stated, and I just love this verse. It said, he that honors me, I will honor. This is from 1 Samuel 2.30. He took that piece of paper, he went out, and he won the gold medal in the 400 meters, smashing the world record. Isn't that a beautiful thing? What an amazing story. This is true, this is a true story. And he made the record, setting the world record in 47.6 seconds, six seconds to be the first Scotsman that ever won an Olympic gold in track and field. Wow, isn't that amazing? So, next year he graduated from university, goes back to China, he serves as a missionary. If you know anything about dates, eventually the Japanese invaded China and Eric Lytle ended up in a POW camp where he contracted cancer and he passed away, he didn't survive. So, I say all of these things to say this. A lot of us today struggle with what to believe and then what to do. Because I believe today there are so many voices calling for our attention. Isn't that the truth? There's coming at us every which direction. There's so much calling for our allegiance today, so many directions that we could go into. And yet, you know, I was just thinking about the pressure that Eric faced as a whole nation was pinning their hopes. You know how strong people are when you get up to the Olympics and they're, you know, they want you to do something and you refuse to do it. Can you imagine a 22-year-old staying true to his convictions when a nation is actually slamming you? How many think that would be a pretty intense experience? But does that tell you something about this young man who said, you know what, I want to honor God more than I want to honor people. And yet God honored him because he honored God. Well, I believe that who we are is more important than what we do. That's what we're gonna find out here as we look at Proverbs chapter eight. The true measure of success in life is how much you and I are becoming like Jesus. Actually, that's the goal of our life. We may not know that as believers, but that's what God's goal is for your life and for my my life. And here in the latter part of chapter eight, we find the credentials of why wisdom is so critical for us. In other words, why is it that the path to true happiness is to embrace and apply the message of lady wisdom into our lives? You know, a lot of people, if you ask them, what do you want want in life? All I want to be is happy. Tonight, I'm going to tell you how to be happy. Anybody interested in how to be happy? I think God puts that in all of our hearts. We all want to be happy. I think that's a normal human response to life. And now we're going to look at the way to get to happiness. Because happiness is not the goal of life. Happiness becomes the byproduct for us doing, actually being, the right kind of person. Which leads to doing the right kind of things in our lives. So, let's take a look here and uh, discovered three reasons why we should listen to Lady Wisdom. Notice I entitled the sermon, Listen Up. You're going to find out that wisdom is actually telling us, hey, would you listen to me? Listen up. Why should we listen to her? Why should we listen to Lady Wisdom? Some of you are going, what's he talking about? Well, if you haven't been here, this is your first time, let me explain something to you. In the Old Testament, wisdom is depicted as a woman. And why is she depicted as a woman? Most of the women here say, I know why. No, you really don't. <laughs> but let me tell you why. The reason why she's depicted as a woman is because in the Hebrew, the word "hokmah," which is the word for wisdom, is actually in the feminine gender, and so that's why the Hebrew scholars and the scriptures themselves are translated in such a way that wisdom is a woman, okay? So here we find out the reason, three reasons. The first reason why we should listen to woman, uh, Lady Wisdom is that she is because of her preeminent origin by God. In other words, as we're gonna discover, she actually has a very exciting beginning. She is God's first work above all of his creation, How many think that's kind of important? The first thing God creates is wisdom. At least that's what wisdom is telling us here. And we see her accomplishments. Now, Dr. Longman, who I had the privilege of studying underneath for a number of times, uh, he's written a really good commentary on the book of Proverbs. And he says this, a typical ancient Near Eastern introduction, which begins with an autobiography and a self-introduction like what we've seen in chapter 12, verses uh, 12... uh, Verses, chapter 8, verses 12 to 21. In other words, what he's saying is chapter 8 begins this way. Wisdom is introducing herself. She's making an argument why we should listen to her. And then we read, after the introduction comes a narration concerning her accomplishments. And that's what we have in verses 22 to verse 31. Now, let me ask you a question. If you were going to go somewhere and listen to somebody speak on something and you knew they didn't have the credentials to speak on it, they probably wouldn't have a lot of credibility. How many say that's probably true? As a matter of fact, you'd sit there and you'd go, I know more about this subject than you do, so why are you telling me this stuff, right? You'd kind of dismiss that person. So wisdom is now making an argument why we need to listen to her. She's saying, look, I got the credentials to tell you how to live, and now she's gonna present that to us here in chapter eight. Uh, Then another interesting thing that we need to understand here is that this section that we're looking at tonight is probably the most controversial in all of the book of Proverbs, and there's a reason for it, we're gonna look into it. And I believe it's important we look at this because a lot of times when we're reading the Bible, we don't realize how important it is that we interpret things correctly. Because if we don't, sometimes it leads to a lot of problems in our lives. Uh, the, here we see a description of woman's uh, wisdom's relationship with Yahweh, that's the Hebrew name for God, in the joint work of creation. And because of the use of this material in the New Testament in connection with Jesus Christ. What he's, Dr. Longman is pointing out is Uh, When you study the Bible, you start to realize that Jesus is depicted as wisdom. And so some people have actually linked the person of Jesus with this passage here in Proverbs chapter eight. That is the important point. He goes on to say, but wisdom does not claim to be co-creator with Yahweh, for throughout Proverbs, he is the creator of all people. God is the creator, not wisdom. Uh, With this as background, it's not surprising that the New Testament subtly associates Jesus with woman wisdom, particularly, as I've said, presented here in chapter 8. It is possible to overread these connections, that's a good way of stating it, by not taking account of the genre of Proverbs chapter 8. So what is Proverbs 8? It's poetry. Does anybody know when you're reading poetry, you probably interpret it a little different than you would straight narrative? Poetry is really symbolic. And we need to understand that because we're going to be looking at a metaphor. One clear example, and this is what the important point is, is the misapplying of this passage from one of the early church theologians by the name of Arius. Arius lived between 260 and 336 AD. And the church eventually ruled against his position. But he was a bishop in a church, and he influenced a number of fellow bishops in going the same direction as he was in his interpretation of this text and regarding the person of Jesus. As a matter of fact, if you do a little studying on church history, you'll find out that the Nicaean creed that we recite was born in the city of Nicaea, which is in modern-day Turkey, and there was a church council there discussing as to the nature of who Jesus really is. Now, see, you have to understand something. You and I, yes, we have the Bible. Yes, we have the New Testament, but yet we have the church trying to get a grip on who is Jesus, and trying to say, this is what the Bible's teaching about who Jesus is. And now a controversy is raging in the fourth century. Arius and his followers, they noticed the connection between Jesus and wisdom, and then they began to apply all of the characteristics of wisdom to Jesus. Now that wasn't the biggest problem, but eventually they so literally pressed the language that As we're going to read here, and I've kept it back for a reason, that wisdom was actually created by God, now they begin to argue that Jesus is actually a creation of God and not God himself. Now, how many know when you do that? That's a huge, significant statement that is wrong and is going to cause huge misunderstanding of the nature of not only who Jesus is in his personhood, but also in his work, then they reason that since God is unbegotten and wisdom who stands for Jesus is, be, is created, Jesus cannot be God. In response, we simply point out that Proverbs 8 is not a prophecy of Jesus or any kind of literal description of him, but it's poetic and it's a metaphor to make important points about the nature of God's wisdom. Indeed, even in the Old Testament setting, where wisdom stands for Yahweh's wisdom, we would be wrong to press the language of creation literally as if at some point God were not wise and only later became wise just in time to create the world. And we're going to see that as we read the text here. So Dr. Longman is making light of that. But the question is, well, why was that so necessary that we understand this? Because today, this teaching of Arian, or Arianism from Bishop Arius, is alive and well. Actually, it has millions of adherents. How many know that? Some of you might. Do you know who this group is? They're called the Jehovah's Witness. They actually believe what Arius taught in the fourth century. And so we need to understand the reason why this is so critical is because when we dismiss uh, the nature of God or Christ, then we're going to dismiss the nature of his work. And that's why... You and I understand that we're saved by God's grace because we recognize the nature of sin is not just a a simple little thing. Even though humanity, a lot there's a lot of moral people, but do you realize that sin is of such a intense degree that it actually taints our it, it actually affects our nature that we're sinners because by nature sin has invaded our our nature, and so the only person that can actually save us is God Himself. We need a Savior that's beyond ourselves. But when you dismiss Jesus as just a created being, then you have to save yourself. And so when you really study what the Jehovah's Witnesses teach, they're actually trying to save themselves. And that's what you need to understand. And so a lot of times as Christians, we get very lax in our understanding of, you know, the Bible or theology. But how many can see that this is an important understanding? And people can easily be deceived by something that's not true. They're sincere. They believe they're right. They think they understand it. But what I'm pointing out is it's a very poor interpretation of a a poetic text. And it's actually causing a lot of sincere people to be sincerely wrong. So what does it mean that wisdom was brought forth? Now, I've already said what's critical to understand about this. So what does it mean that wisdom was brought forth? Well, here we go, some of the more challenging things. Everybody understands that the Old Testament it was primarily uh, written in the Hebrew language. So when you and I have it in English, what do we have to have? We have to have people who interpret it for us, Okay. Now how many here you actually know more than one language? Anybody here know more than one language? Okay, great. Everybody that knows more than one language can easily tell you there are some concepts and words that cannot be translated into another language. It doesn't exist in that culture. And so we run into words sometimes that are difficult to to understand and what to, to make us understand what they mean, okay? So when people are translating, they're trying to give you the meaning. They're not giving you literal word-for-word translation. Some of us are very fixated on word-for-word stuff. No, you're trying to give the understanding of the concept. And that's what communication is about. And so here they are you know, dealing with this uh, a word here right off the bat in verse 22, which is very interesting because the, tr- the word uh, be- that we translate it, you know, created, born, uh, really this... Basically, begetting of wisdom by Yahweh, the Hebrew verb behind begot is actually the word kenani, which uh, is a verb and is the source of some controversy. Actually, in most instances in the Old Testament, the verb means to acquire or to purchase. In most, uh, the meaning of acquire or creator are connected and are of the same Hebrew root, Semantically, the range of kanani is similar to that of get and begat in English. Both mean acquire or procreate. So what is he saying? Because, you know, you could, you know different translations are going to translate this word differently. And, you know, how many remember reading the old King James, so-and-so begat, so-and-so and begat, begat, begat? Th- they're, they're actually saying that's their kids. They're, it's procre- they're translating that as a procreation. So, but here, you know, it's not just the idea... Of, of, it can be the idea of acquiring something as well. But I think the, rec- the record's gonna show us here that wisdom, simply put, why, is he, why are we talking about this? Because wisdom is actually created, and it's created in a context, and it's created in the beginning. So let's take a look at verse 22 in Proverbs 8, It says there, the Lord brought me forth as the first of his works, before his deeds of old. I was formed Long ages ago, at the very beginning, now notice that term, very beginning, immediately it should bring us to Genesis chapter one, at the very beginning God created, right? It says, at the very beginning when the world came to be, when there was no watery depths, I was given birth, when there was no springs overflowing with water, before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth. Are we getting a sense this is a poetic passage? It is. Before he made the world or its field or any of the dust of the earth. So, what is is wisdom really telling us about herself? She's basically saying that she's the first of God's creation and witnessed God as he created the world. In other words, it took wisdom to create this world, which is one of God's attributes. He's wise. And so, what wisdom is saying to us is, I understand how the world works, I was there watching God put it together. And we're going to see that very clearly as we keep reading here. Now, how many remember the story of Job? Anybody remember the story of Job? Now, Job had a few problems. He was a man. He was doing what God wanted. God himself declared him to be blameless, but he went under a time of tremendous testing. Remember that? He lost his children. That was painful. Then he lost all his money. Now he's broke. Then he lost his health. Now he's suffering. And so he's sitting here struggling to get a handle on what in the world is going on in his life. And so he's, he's growing frustrated. And then to add to his irritation, not only is he sick, his good friends show up and, you know, they have a certain idea about why Job is sick. They're telling him, listen, Job, if you did what God told you to do, you wouldn't be suffering like this. Why don't you just repent and God will forgive you and things will start straightening out. Doesn't that sound like a nice avenue? And Job goes, I'd love to be able to repent, but I didn't do anything. So what I don't understand is what in the world's happening to me. Why is God allowing all this stuff to happen in my life? Have you ever wondered sometimes in your life why God lets some things happen? Anybody here have any questions about God? Like, <clears throat> I don't get what you're doing here. <clears throat> I don't understand this. Can we just have a conversation about this? And how many know that when you really get frustrated, anger kind of takes over a little bit, and Job gets upset? As I keep reading through the book of Job, he's getting more angry. As a matter of fact, he wants to take God to court. He, he wants to put God on the witness stand and try him and put him there so he can ask him, what in the world are you doing? <clears throat> now, what I find fascinating is, uh, you know, God is listening to Job go on and on and on and on through the book. Now, have you ever been to somebody where you actually know something and they don't and they're going on and on and on and the more they talk, the more you realize how stupid what they're saying is. You ever had that situation where you're just going, if these guys would just shut up, they wouldn't look so dumb because they don't quite get what's going on. And so the more they talk, the more crazy it sounds. And so God is letting Job just spew all this stuff out. And so finally God's had enough and we pick up in chapter 38 where he says these words. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm and he said to him, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? In other words, you don't have a clue, Job. So stop talking, right? Isn't that kind of what he's saying to him? Sure it is. Then he says this: "Brace yourself like a man. I got que- I'll question you, and you'll answer me. In other words, I don't have to give you an answer. I'm God. You know, we're we're so funny. We think God owes us something. God doesn't owe us anything. We owe God everything." So God says, I don't owe you an explanation, Job, but if you can answer this, I'll consider answering the question. But God knew that this was above Job's pay grade. God says, this is way beyond your ability to comprehend what's going on. And then he says this, where were you when I laid the earth foundation? Tell me if you understand. So what is he saying to Job? If you were wise, you would know the answer to this, but because you don't know this answer, you're not wise like Lady Wisdom is because she was there. So what is, what's the argument that I'm trying to build here? Really simply this. The only way for us to understand God's world and how it w- works is for you and I to listen to the person who witnessed it all, which is Lady Wisdom. In other words, she says, I was there when God created the worlds, therefore I know how life works, so if you listen to me, you'll be able to handle what's happening in your life. That's a pretty interesting argument, isn't it? She's making that argument to us. I'm worth listening to. As a matter of fact, Paul Kopek says this. Wisdom enhances her authority and credibility by means of an ancient motif of knowledge. Only the one who knows how the world came to be and how it works is able to claim real knowledge. All else is limitation. It's limited at best. Okay, so now, one of the things we need to understand in the next few verses what God does. He's creating stability and order out of chaos. Now have you ever noticed when you're reading Genesis 1, you get in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Then the next verse is very fascinating. I, I just find that verse fascinating. It says, and the spirit of, the, uh, of God was brewing over the face of the earth. You get a sense in verse 2 it's all chaos. You know? And then in verse 3 you start seeing God start putting things into place. There's a sense of structure and order and boundaries become become definable and then god kind of sets things in order how many kind of notice that and so god is fashioning things and taking it out of chaos and he's creating structure in this world now listen to verse 27 Wisdom says, I was there when he, God, set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon of the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the foundations of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundary so the waters would not overstep his command, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth. In other words, wisdom said, I was a witness to how God structured this world. I was a witness how God framed it, ordered it, and created boundaries for it. I, I even saw how he made it so that the oceans would not you know, just keep going, that there was actually a boundary where they could only go so far. It's an interesting way of talking, isn't it? It's very poetic, but here's the, crucialness, the, the crucial factor for us in our understanding of life. Wisdom is teaching us just like there is boundaries in the created world. Do you know that there are boundaries in the moral world? Let me give you an example. God created us, created our world to have 7 days a week. Haven't you noticed that? He created the times and the seasons and the 7-day week and then he gave us a rhythm and he said, "For 6 days you shall labor and on the 7th day you shall what? Rest. Rest." Now, we can ignore that boundary in our life and we can just work just continuously, but what happens after a while is when you violate God's boundaries, what happens? You lack wisdom you're going to suffer. God designed things in a specific way. So when God is telling us how to live, he's creating moral boundaries. And when you and I violate these boundaries, it never produces happiness. It never produces life. It always produces destruction and death into our lives. So we can ignore that and suffer, or we can say, no, I'm going to follow God's his pattern, his structure, his order. I'm gonna follow. I'm gonna stay with inside these boundaries because I know that's the healthy place. And not only is it healthy, that's where life is actually flourishing at its highest level. So we have a choice to make. Let me move on to the second reason why we should listen to Lady Wisdom is her association with God. How many recognize who we spend time with influences and affects our lives? How many know that's true? So if you want to be a wise person, who you got to hang out with? Wise people. If you want to be a godly person, who do you need to hang out with? Godly people. If you want to be a terrible sinner, who do you hang out with? Terrible sinners. I'm just pointing out, people are going to influence you, right? No rocket scientist here. I'm just telling you the nature of how it works. So now listen to this. Who is Lady Wisdom hanging with? I love verse 32, uh, sorry, verse 30. She says, then I was constantly at his side. Now some translation said, and I was his artisan, right? Now that word there is a, a word that's only used one time in the Hebrew Bible. Now how many know when you have a word that's only used one time, it creates problems for people? They're trying to figure out what does it mean. So they gotta read other literature and try to figure it all out. But here's the point. There's, you know, you can make an argument for two things, but I really like the way the NIV is rendering it here or translating it here because the idea is that of association. She says, I was constantly at his side, I was filled with delight, always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. So what is wisdom rejoicing in? She's rejoicing in the way God framed the world. She's rejoicing in the actually the wisdom of God in making things the way he did. And how many know that you and I, we can actually take absolute de- delight in God's creation? Do you know you can't even be a scientist without understanding that when God created an order, that you and I can discover the things that he did? And actually, we start marveling at what he did. You study the stars and the universe. You can study the human body. And you know the scripture says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. You, know, you start studying anatomy. You start studying the, you know, the DNA in human beings. And all of it is an amazing mystery in some ways, and yet it's so Ordered and structured. You know, you and I are walking miracles. It's the way our body works. That's just an incredible thing, how God designed us. And Lady Wisdom says, man, I just delight in all of this stuff. It brings such joy to my heart to see how God created this world. But she says, you know what really is the crowning achievement of God's creation? Humanity. You and I are made in the image of God. We are the ultimate crowning achievement of God's created world. Isn't that beautiful? And you say, why is that? Because we were made like him. We were made in his image. And you know, as I thought about this, it caused me to reflect on something so significant to us as human beings. And what's that? What is the purpose of our existence? Why did God make us? In other words, why did God make you? Why did God make me? And what is it that God wants us to discover about why we're here on this planet? This is so exciting to me because I I notice that most people don't know why they're here. Most people in our culture are so self-centered because the culture is, you know? We're so narcissistic. We're so focused on ourselves that we think that this world is all about us. And I'll just tell you, the smallest people on the planet are the people who are only focused on themselves. They're locked in, and they're the most miserable people. You know, it's just about them. But you know what's sad? You know, most of us think it's about us and, you know, us finding happiness. We want everybody to be happy. Can I tell you, happiness should never be the goal. Happiness is actually a byproduct of something far more significant. We need to discover what in the world did God have in mind when he created me? Why did he create you? Why did he give you the certain gifts and and locate you in the certain places on the planet? Why did God do it that way? You never ask yourself that question. But I love, wisdom wants us to understand we were designed by him and we were designed for him. See, your reason for being here is not for yourself. Your reason for being here is for him. And that's what Paul says. Where do you think Paul's picking up this idea of this wisdom that's coming from God? In Colossians, he says it this way. The son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn or the preeminent one over all creation. For in him, all things were created. In Christ, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Listen, you were made for God. God actually like wisdom delights in us. There's a joy that we bring to the heart of God. Isn't that amazing? You know, God rejoices over us. You know, I, I just wrote an article in my blog that, you know, one you know, how do, you know, I I entitled it beyond failure. And basically what I was telling people is that God You know, when you're going to restore something, you only restore something that has real value. And God is so in love with humanity that he's willing to give himself to restore us because he values us. He rejoices over us. We are his crowning creation and it grieves him when sin mars the image of God in our lives and we become narcissistic and self-centered and broken and fragmented and unhappy and then we embrace this idea of self-destruction. And that's what's happening in our culture today. We see it everywhere. So let me move on to the third reason why we should listen to Lady Wisdom. It's the kind of life that we acquire when we listen to her. When we respond in obedience and follow the path that Lady Wisdom is laying out for us, we become wise and happy. Look at verse 32. Now then, my children, listen to me. That's why I call the sermon, Listen Up. She says, Wisdom is saying, Listen to me. I've got credibility. I know how it works. I was there when it was created. I can show you the right way to live. Isn't that great? Here's the manual. Here's the manual, how to live. Wow. Then she says this, blessed are those who keep my ways. Now that Hebrew word, blessed, is the word asher, and it just means you can translate it happy. That's another way of saying it. Blessed or happy are the people who keep my ways. In other words, people who discover the right path to walk on. You're going to be happy. What does it mean to listen? It means to literally do what you're told, basically. You know, it's not listen, like hear the words. No, it's apply what I'm telling you. Do what I'm telling you. Go where I'm showing you. To know the right path and the outcome is happiness look at verse 33 listen to my instruction and be wise do not disregard it don't shut me out verse 34 blessed are those who listen to me watching daily at my doors waiting at my doorway I could make a whole sermon on this one verse that you know what we should be standing at the door of wisdom every single day daily and saying I'm listening I want to hear you you know what is wisdom? It's the way of God. How do I discover what God is about? You know, I find the messaging in this book. You know, I can, I'll tell you something. If you spend every day in some part of this book reading and asking God to give you insight and you start studying and meditating on the word of God, you will gain wisdom, you will become a success in this life. You will find the right path. Jesus said, I am the path. You see, Jesus and wisdom are interchangeable. You're gonna find the right way. You're gonna walk in the right path. You are gonna succeed in life. You are gonna find a joy and a hope and a happiness that you've never known before. It's so exciting. It says, for those who find me find life. And receive favor from the Lord. How many want to receive God's favor? Isn't that beautiful? But those who fail to find me harm themselves. And all who hate me love death. Isn't it sad? You know, John Paul II, the former Pope, you know what he said? We're living in a culture of death. People are embracing death today. Everywhere I turn, you know, I just sent out an email to many of you that give us our email address, and I brought to your attention what's happening in our country. Do you know that in 2016, we made we legislated a law that we could have assisted suicide, right? We could terminate people's lives. It was called MAD, Medically Assisted in Dying. Do you realize that three and a half years later, the government now wants to reopen the, the parameters for which this could occur to those who are terminally ill that there's no hope for recovery they want to open the parameters so that anybody who wants to receive it regardless if they're terminally ill or not can actually have medically assistance in dying in other words the government's willing to help you die do you know that that's happening right now and there's a survey out and the government says they want a public consultation and they want to have it within two weeks and that was already a week ago how many think that's kind of sad they're opening the door And they wanna do it to such a degree with different parameters that people under 18 can make this decision without parental consent. How many think that's kind of a dangerous step that we're moving towards? You see, when when that door opened in 2016, we opened the door to a slippery slope. And now we're living in this culture of death. It's really kind of challenging. You know, we can get upset about that, but that's reality. I like what David Bland says in regard to the book of Proverbs and the formation of character. He says, Proverbs is not so much a how-to manual as it is a how-to-be manual. In other words, how should we be? So the most important question that faith communities must ask themselves is not what are we doing, but who are we becoming? That's powerful. You see, because if we become the right person, we end up doing the right things. It's not about doing and then becoming, it's about becoming, and out of that becoming, we do the right things. See, God wants to change us from the inside out. You see, when you're a Pharisee, you're just changing the external things. What God wants to do is change the internal things. He wants to change our attitude, he wants to change our hearts, he wants to change the way we think, and eventually it translates into how we start living our lives. We start making decisions totally differently, and we relate to people totally differently. Now, some of you may remember this, and some of you, I'm sure this is way beyond uh, your ability to even know who this character is, but some of you grew up in the days of Captain Kangaroo. Anybody know who I'm talking about? Okay, a few of you. No, know. some of you go, no. Captain Kangaroo was a children's program, and uh, in 1955, a guy by the name of Bob Keeson became Captain Kangaroo. He's 28 years old, so how many know he's acting out this grand old sailor? So they had to put a lot of makeup on this guy to make him look old. But you know what happened? This show was so popular with kids that it just kept running and running year after year until finally the makeup had to be diminished because eventually Bob had gray hair and he did have wrinkles. So makeup was not an issue anymore for him to play the part of Captain Kangaroo. And this is what Daryl Tippin says about him. He said, near the end of his career, he could say, I have grown into the part. The goal of the people of God is to grow into the character of God. Isn't that a beautiful thought, that you and I can become just like him? Let me close with uh, a little bit about the life that God is calling us to. I love C.S. Lewis. Obviously, you realize that. I quote him often. He talks a little bit about the life of wisdom as demonstrated in the life of Christ in the book, Mere Christianity, and he said this. Now, the whole offer Christianity makes is this. That we can, if we let God have his way, come to share in the life of Christ. If we do, we shall be sharing a life which was begotten, not made. In other words, it's eternal. Do you realize that if we have Christ, we have eternal life? Which has always existed and will always exist. Christ is the Son of God. If we share in this kind of life, we also shall be sons of God or daughters of God. We shall love the Father as he does, and the Holy Ghost will arise in us. He came into the world and became a man in order to spread to other men or women the kind of life he has by what I call good infection. In other words, he came to infect us with his life. Every Christian is to become a little Christ. The whole purpose of becoming a Christian is simply nothing else. What is he, Lewis is saying? He's saying that when you and I embrace Christ, his life comes into us. How many think that's amazing? And this is an amazing life. It's, It's a culture of life, not death. Can you see that really Proverbs is kind of giving us and showing us there's only two paths? The path of wisdom, the path of folly. The path that God's calling us to, the path that we're constantly being trying to take and away from through temptation and seduction, away from this path of wisdom. How powerful is it? So who are we going to listen to? There's a lot of voices. People screaming for our attention. People screaming for our allegiance. People that want us on their side. They scream to gain our attention. The world, the voice of folly. Are we going to listen to Lady Wisdom or Lady Folly? See, we have to make a choice and while we hear god's voice and respond will we hear god's voice and respond in obedience to him and will we honor god with our lives that's why i told you the story of eric little here was a young man 22 years old had the pressure of an entire nation against him and yet he said i will honor god let's stand <clears throat> I don't know about you, but the book of Proverbs is challenging. How many see that? It's really about changing us. And my prayer for you, you know my desire as a pastor? I want you to succeed. I want you to thrive. I want you to be successful. Can I tell you what what it's like and how much God cares about us? This morning, you know, I got up really early. I I do on Sundays. Actually, my crazy uh, phone tells me, do you want me to set the clock at 5 o'clock a.m.? Every Saturday night it asked me that. Of course, that's the time I get up or earlier. So I said, of course, I'm getting up at five. And so I was trying to be real quiet because my grandchildren were over last night. They're sleeping in the next room. So I'm trying to be extremely quiet so I don't wake them at 5 a.m., right? They're gonna get up early enough. They don't need to be up at that hour. So I'm working away in my office. It's probably close to seven now, and I can hear them. They're awake now in the other room. And one of the most beautiful things that happens, and this is what life is really all about, I hear them and they can see there's a light on, and they come into my office. My little grandson, who's four, just crawls up into my lap, puts his arms around me, and he says, Poppy, I love you. And I wanna tell you every day, I love you. And I said to myself, you see, we need to understand something. This is what God longs for in our lives. That you and I understand it's about relationship. God wants to have us reciprocate the love he has for us. He promises us every day I have a new mercy for you. Every day I want to express my love and concern for you. I want you to discover this amazing way of wisdom. Because I know it will bring you happiness. I have the experience. I know how this world works. I know what brings life. And I know what bring destruction and death i want you to know that i love you with an everlasting love isn't that beautiful god loves us that way but can you see yourself like my little grandson just crawling up into the lap of god every single morning and putting your arms around him how many think that's a beautiful picture and say i'm going to wait at the gate of wisdom i want to hear the voice of god i want to tell god how much he means to me I want to receive the daily dose of wisdom that I need to navigate my way through all of the challenges I'm going to face in life. Do you know every day God is bringing opportunities for you and I to reveal the life of Christ to others. It's there. But sometimes as Christians we get so busy with all the challenges and the things we need to do that we actually move through life and we're not even noticing you know that God is planting roses by the path, that God is giving us an opportunity to speak a word of kindness and maybe stop and listen to a problem or pray for somebody in need or help them out of a trial or a difficulty by maybe you know, helping fix a flat tire, all the things that we can do during the day. Isn't that amazing? There is a path that leads to life and it's the path of wisdom. So how many here today say, you know what, Pastor? I want to walk on that path. I want to walk on the path of wisdom. See, I got my hand up. That's where I want to, I want to just live and walk in that path, to do God's will, to walk in God's way. And so, Lord, I pray today as we're responding to you in our hearts, there's a, a, a cry that says, yes, I want to I walk in this life that you bring. I want to eschew, I want to move away from, I want to shun, I want to say no to this culture of death. I want to turn my ears away from the screams and the sense of urgency that are calling me away from your path. Lord, give me that kind of fortitude and strength that you even poured into a young man like Eric Little that was able to resist the voice of a nation to do what honored you. And in the end, he not only honored you, Father, he even made his nation proud. I just thank you for that, Lord, that when we do your will, that powerful things begin to happen in our lives, that good things happen, life-giving things happen, meaningful things happen, and that we, in turn, become happy with who we are becoming because we find ourselves now becoming like you and then doing the things that you would do. We thank you for that. Help us, Lord, to listen, to listen up to your words each and every day in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you leave.